I'd like to make this one maybe a little shorter and punchier, too. Just like me! Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. We return after a long hiatus of, you know, months. Like six weeks. Yeah. With, uh... Isolate a dragon out from under him. <laughs> with part three of our uh, story time with Blake and High Cove discussing Delve Knight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm producer Dave Freed. We have with us... I'm Skip Williams, the true author of Savage Species, no matter what the credits on the front of the book say. Uh, and I'm Blake Munchlin. I was sitting on that dragon, asshole. <laughs> All right. I know so, how you were sitting on that dragon. So where we left off, well, you've, you've given the listeners your C material and your B material. Let's uh, hear the A material. So this is the best stuff from Delve Knight, I, or we think. So let's start with Gloves. Gloves was probably the most... Pound for pound, probably the best player we had. Right. In terms of what he brought to the table, what he didn't take from the table... The frequency with which he came, the yeah. infrequency with which he consumed one of the um, NPCs, NPCs yeah. the interest he brought to the table, the roles he took, just total package. I loved having him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lots often, of people I liked having there. Some people I loved having there, but I think Gloves is number one. Yeah. Anyway, the... Um, Some I hated having there. <laughs> and it was good, too, because I feel like his... It, there was even some intangibles there. Like, for example, players who were on the fence, players didn't exactly know what to do uh, coming to Delve Knight. Players who were doing it for, like, the first time or something like that had, you know, he took care of. And he helped people. Gloves is a really good, uh, like, he's not like me, or no offense, you, where when we try to teach someone something, we know we're smarter than them. And uh, we can only hide it so much. You certainly much better than I. But the fact of the matter is... I just better at bluff. We're jerks. And when, you know... It, I have everyone thinking I'm smart. Pedagogy comes naturally to us and is not an endearing quality. Gloves is a very unassuming, humble man. But who nonetheless... Brilliant. Yeah, is actually much smarter than he immediately lets on. Uh, he just has a speech impediment that has everybody fooled. And... He could, I, I really, one of the things that I always noticed spectating these Delve Night sessions that I have run, that I have run is the way that if somebody was new, Gloves would lean over and say, just enough information that they needed to then discover for themselves what they were doing instead of trying to micromanage them. He did not tell them what to do. He gave them the tools to make decisions, which is what a teacher is. And that is a hard skill. That is a really hard skill. Mm-hmm. Certainly not a skill I've think any of the other players were bringing it was always the better Del- it was always better to know Delve Knight when he was at the table yeah. um, we're talking like he's dead he actually hangs out with us all the time no, it just doesn't happen to be here today recently, yeah. he was in my last campaign yeah. he's in my next campaign <laughs> uh, yeah he hung out with us on Thursday we he's playing the healer which I think at, when he hears this will be news to him no what no that he's playing the healer no, that's not news to him. He's oh, also the good. one who's bringing the My Little Pony uh, French of His Magic set to the Build Your Own Draft, which we discussed in a previous major yep. episode. That's true. Um, the, uh... No, the, the... Remember I told you we looked at your article with the seven rolls? Mm-hmm. Healing was one of the ones that we saw right. as missing, which is what 
Well, I was like, we're missing healing, control, and uh, nature. We um, is we, this a tangent? Sorry. We had a lot of things happening at Delve Night that we were very proud of. We had a lot of monsters we really liked, and a lot of players we really tolerated. Gloves is characters we really liked. Uh, I think the most archetypal example is Gloves Shieldair, because Gloves names all of his characters after himself, so they never get lost in the kindergarten cubbies. Gloves Shieldair was run by Gloves, wielded a shield, and dared to do things. Like jump. He was a seeker, I think. Mm -hmm. A, uh, ostensibly ranged controller that he played largely in melee. He threw his shield, but he did a lot of shield bashing. He was very, very good at climbing and jumping. And at one point, he climbed to the second story of something and said, I want to fall on this guy shield first. Will that deal more damage? And I looked at it and said, you know what? You will deal as much extra damage as you take in falling damage. So if you land nicely, like a stuntman inside a dumpster full of cardboard boxes, you're landing too softly to do anything extra. You're mm-hmm. dispersing your momentum. But if you land head first, ramrod straight into the empty pool, that momentum is going to transfer. So if you deal 10 damage and you take 20, you're actually going to deal 30 to that guy. And having uh, after I said that, he climbed to the fourth floor. <laughs> We're talking can, about gloves. You can talk. We can cut it out. <laughs> no. We can't actually have women on the podcast. <laughs> We're full of women on the podcast under normal circumstances, just not our podcast always. Just never went on there. Anyway, here this can be our hashtag for this one. Hashtag colony drop. Because <laughs> that was that was when that like kind of trope in Delve Knight was born. We're like, Glow climbs up to a thing and then jumps off of it onto a guy, and he made a point of doing that on a regular See, basis. See, here's the secret with that is say you only have twenty hit points. Then you're not limited to 20 hit points on the amount of extra damage you can do to a guy if you're willing to be dead. Are you kidding? Gloves climbed to the top of a six-story tree, fell on a guy, and killed him so hard that guy became a radius. Took Gloves down to three hit points. He then climbed back onto the top of that tree and did it to another guy at a lower point in the map, the last guy in the Delve Knight, which killed Gloves outright. <laughs> but he took out two monsters. And in doing so, saved another member of the party who was being harried by that monster, like, prone in a bog. Mm-hmm. There was just nowhere to go. Was that the, uh... The, the uh, Bullywugs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bullywug Revenge. Because even the designers didn't like Bullywugs. <laughs> <laughs> the... Read my blog. DMing with Charisma. Because the damage he dealt was not disproportionate. Say he could deal... 1d10 plus 6 or something mm-hmm. on an attack. Well, he would spend one round climbing and then another round to do 3d10 plus 6, which is almost exactly 2d6 plus 12. In fact, it's slightly lower. He sacrificed damage to do this in punches because he took turns not attacking, which is revolutionary in 4th edition. <laughs> it is kind of. Read my blog. <laughs> we started talking about... Um, I started designing monster like maps for these sessions. Uh, with uh, the you know okay, let me make sure I put a tall thing here for gloves to jump off of. Yeah, it was it was. I didn't a, hurt that Blake loved building three dimensional maps. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It, it is. It's a weakness I have. Give him a reason. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, what else did? We, or what, there was something else that we want. Oh right, Labraccio. Ah. Uh, okay. We talked last administration about <laughs> that adrenaline pop moment, and I think the best adrenaline pop moments we got were in our, the players are jerks and we should hate them 
phase. Yeah. Uh, karmic sessions is what I used to call them, or karmic retribution sessions. They were all about finding something the players did that irritated us that we didn't deserve to be irritated about, usually, and doing it back to them. For example, 4th edition has a rule where if you get... If you're unconscious due to negative hit points and you're healed, your hit points are moved up to zero by caveat, and then healing is applied, because having to do addition to negative numbers is very, very hard. This meant that players would gladly drop as low as possible and then take one point of damage and be up and just fine because hit points... healing. Yep. Thank you. Any more hit points than zero means I'm fully functional, Goku. Uh, And, you know, in fourth edition, unlike less forgiving editions such as third, your negative hit points uh, go down as far as half of your max HP. Which makes Gloves self-sacrifice in that particular instance even more impressive. You can take a lot of beating... He did damage uh, to himself equal to his bloodied value. Higher. Yeah. You can you, then drowned. <laughs> you can take quite a beating uh when below zero, and as long as the healer has an opportunity to get around to you, you're right back up again. In a number of sessions we actually had a problem with this where we had meaningful numbers of healers showing up, not a thing that was always the case at Delve Knight. And I remember a number of times you thought you had like you, you were like, you know what, I'm not gonna win. I'm not even going to threaten this party. But I am going to pick one guy, one unlucky man, and I am going to make sure his wife gets an unpleasant letter. Usually <laughs> the person sitting to the right of me. <laughs> That's right, the death, death seat. seat. Yep. <laughs> uh, we always called it the death seat. Anyway, and so there was one session in particular, I, I, I can't remember what exactly the, the battle was, where you were like, this guy, that one, beat, beat, beat. You know, get him down to zero and then sit there like pounding on his unconscious body, heedless of the oncoming doom of the monster. Just, you know, sour grapes. I'm going to die today, but I'm taking one of you with me. And got him almost there. And then one of the players was like, heal. And then, you know, he was <laughs> heal like, for three. Ah, not only am I full, but I'm standing next to the monster. Daily, daily, daily. Action point daily. <laughs> They're daily miners. Don't give me that look. <laughs> We're added, uh, we're joined by the lovely, uh, Laura Hykov, who can feel free to chime in at any time with her clever banter. Who, for the purposes of this podcast, is like Laura the Third. I didn't like Delve Knight. It was boring. Uh, she wasn't in it. Lots of things are boring when you don't participate boring. in them. You know what was also incredibly boring? Life of Pi, I imagine. But, uh. the karmic version of this was we had monsters that could heal each other. And it was wonderful. Yeah, the thinking was that, like, the players had to reduce the monsters to negative their max HP, which was plenty. The first time a monster went down, and they went to remove the mini, and I said, no, no, no. They said, alright, so that monster's gonna get up, I guess. Or perhaps become a terrain, you know, drop an aura around death. And then another monster came up, and used an action to give the monster its second win. They're like, okay, that was cute. Then the monster died again, and they did it again. They were like, oh no. Oh no. Yeah. We have to spend our turns dealing damage to a dead guy. This is everything I've hated throughout life. The interesting part about that, of course, was that that, that particular session was inspired by the uh, Kevin Bacon movie Flatliners. There was three undead monsters, and the idea was that they would just keep getting up when they died. Uh, and Spoilers for Flatliners, I suppose. Their name were... It's the premise of the movie. It's on the damn sleeve. Uh, Spoilers if you don't read the back of movies. Names of the characters were Manus, Nelson, and Labraccio, which are the names... Right. Movies are digital now. They don't have a back of the box anymore. But they do uh, have a DVD slipcover. Frequently uh, do. That's why I said sleeve. I'm here up, up here in the 90s. <laughs> um... 
And they call them albums. Manus was the one that brought the. De- Actually, no, they could all bring each other back. Yep. Right. Manus was the teleport one. She could make the others teleport around because she was a ghost. And as women are wont to be, Nelson was a zombie and Labaccio was a skeleton. This was, you know, the zombies and skeletons are friends because we've seen that Adam Sandler movie, right. Hotel Transylvania, Jack and Jill, Jack and Jill. Seems reasonable. Each of them had a trick. I don't remember what Nelson's trick was. It was probably just blow somebody up hardcore. It was with boring. She was super damaged. And Manus teleported the other two around with her move actions. If you're going to name yourself after a schoolyard wrestling move, you're just not going to be interesting. We needed teleports to, uh, you know, get to each... They needed teleporting to get to each other to heal each other. And it was great because it meant the party couldn't trap them in, like, hallways and stuff. But the, um... But Labraccio's thing was that he was the defending monster. He was the one that wanted to, like force the players to attack him rather than his allies. And uh, the mini that we used for Labraccio was a very close runner-up in that, like, set of uh, uh, eight minis that he picked to be the the NPC minis. But it was like, it was an undead guy. What were we going to do? It's a skeleton in full plate with this, like, sword that is, you know, I mean, it was Indonesian sweatshop labor paint. For all the Delve Knight minis, or all the all the Dungeons and Dragons minis, so very very red, very red sword. So I made that like a thing, and I was like, okay, the way this guy works is he marks people by cutting them with his blood sword, and once you've been cursed by the blood sword, you're carrying that curse around forever, uh, as long as he's alive. Mm-hmm. And I think it was whenever a player that was cursed by the blood sword attacked somebody besides Labraccio. All players cursed by the blood sword took da- damage equal to that damage. It was it was terrifying. Yeah, the first time somebody swung at a guy with the violated the mark and they dealt equivalent damage to themselves, like this is a scary mark. Hmm. Then I think a controller did it or something. They violated the mark because the mark lasted forever. If he yeah. got you with the blood sword, one of you had to die. It didn't. It didn't wear off until unless mm-hmm. you got rid of him. It hung around between sessions. <laughs> it's actually true. We did. We'll get into that in a second. But a controller then violated the mark. It was like, okay, so you take ten damage. Also, so does that defender. And the party went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were. So every time we violate this mark, the party takes a net fifty damage. And Labraccio just started running. <laughs> that was the point. That was our, our adrenaline moment when the party lawyer were like, okay, guys, it's time to put your thinking caps on. We need to actually fight smarter here because this is going to be difficult for us. That guy right there, colony drop. We need to get rid of him. Um, and for that session, it worked. They then dogpiled on Labraccio and they just... Things kept they, they, they dog on Labaccio. He became the first monster that died. Manus yeah. raised him, and then the party was like, Oh no! This is not happening a third time! Uh, the very next week, for, because I don't... I must have been mad at you for something. I'm, we made a blood-themed encounter. <laughs> where we had... I had seven blood-themed monsters that each had a blood-themed piece of equipment, and an eight-blood-themed monster. There was the blood knight, there was the blood elemental, there was the blood block of blood... Blood, I know there was some blood bats. There was a vampire or two. Anyway, but there was also Labraccio. So everyone who had been there the previous week, you know, saw the mini go down. And as soon as we called him Labraccio, they all, like, you know, seized their hearts and were like, Everybody get him! <laughs> Anybody? Labraccio came up a couple more points throughout Devil Knight history, and every time someone was a veteran who said, Guys, get that guy with the red sword. Why? No, you don't understand. Get him. That is Labraccio. <laughs> the time you are asking why is time you're not hitting it. <laughs> uh, that, 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 
the that encounter with like the the blood themed equipment, I actually let the players get that because they took the sword. Yep. If, when they, they killed him, they were able mark. to take the sword off of his body, and then they had the power of the blood sword, and were like, ha ha! They got to deal necrotic damage to all these creatures immune to necrotic. High five! <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you guys are bad. Labratio was but good at it. Probably the fa- like one of the the real all star monsters of the of Delve Knight. Like just kept coming back over and over again, and every time it was magical. Um, so, you know what I was thinking about the Cobalt Hero Squad, but you know, ah, oh, jeez, Cobalt Hero Squad, Crack Tooth, Pun Pun, <laughs> Perf. We didn't have a Pun Pun, did we? No, Pun Pun is the Cobalt. From I, thought, that, I, like, thought, I thought we ended up naming one Pun Pun. Uh, Flap Flap was, was the only one Maybe where I where I had the repeated word name. He was the the Cobalt like dr- Dragon Disciple or whatever it wings. And who was it? Like um. Stab shoot, cobalt pessimist. Uh, blood groan. Blood groan. No, blood groan was the brute. No, crackjaw Crack was the was brute. The... No, blood groan was cobalt. It was blood groan, po- cobalt pessimist. <laughs> uh, perf, the perforator. He had a move called perforate. He had a spear. Yeah. And of course, the cobalt hero, Meepo, the unkillable. Yeah. No matter what happened, Meepo would always get away. It's based on the character Meepo, who appeared in a number of official um, third edition adventure paths. Mm-hmm. Like, this a, a kobold named Meepo would appear in a bunch of things, no matter how many times you had killed him in previous adventure paths. So I'm like, I love this thing. The idea of a kobold who is just so great that he'll never die. But he's still only as good as a kobold. Yep. Or Meepo might just be like John. You know? It could be, but that's not as interesting. No, I know. Um, but yeah. Cobalt Hero Squad was just uh, a squad of like legendary cobalts that each had personality, and we went to the we used the Cobalt Victory Reaction Table, even though I'm not sure that it ever came into play. <laughs> Once or twice, when um, a cobalt knocks a guy unconscious, roll one d20. The cobalt does the following things like "That's right, everybody run!" plus one to attack and plus two to damage for the rest of the encounter. This will only anger them. Immediately hide under the unconscious person, and so on. <laughs> Uh, steal a piece of equipment from the body and then, and then leave flee. the battlefield to hide it. <laughs> so, um, the Labraccio thing actually dovetails nicely into the, uh... You can tell because we talked about that five minutes ago. Sorry. Uh, the, uh, this. Escalation series. Um, this is a series of fights that occurred on escalators. Did we ever talk about the Field of Stang? We're about to. Awesome. That's the first battle of the Escalation series. Right? What did I do the week before that? Portals. The Portalator. Yeah, that was not yep. part of the Escalation awesome. series. So anyway, um, I decided that we were going to have a series of encounters over the course of several weeks where they, we, I think we leveled up every week. And It was summer, so the students were gone. Most of the walk-ins were gone. Oh, right. And, and, I, and I timed it so we could go all the way up to level 30. There was just... Um, we, we jumped by fives, I think, every month or something uh, like that. Makes that. That's what it was. Yep. So we... Yeah, everybody came in with the knowledge that they were going to be playing this a particular way. And we wanted to have... We, we Normally in Delve Knight, because of the beginner nature of it, we didn't really go into the higher levels ever. So this was the one time we were going to have that. And each week was supposed to be something that was like, so this is what we did last week. How are they going to top it this week? And the first week was when they fought the Drow Adams family. <laughs> and it was just... I got all of his Drow minis together, which were a whole bunch of Singleton minis. A lot of sessions were motivated by like just wanting to Use the minis we hadn't used yet. Um, Some of these minis already had names. 
Yeah. Like, there was a drow archer that we referred to just in common parlance as Alicia Fox, because that was the name she had for the female pro wrestler session. Right. That was the mini that we used for Alicia Fox in the female pro wrestler. And I'm still angry at Blake about that, for reasons I'll explain when we're not being recorded. Um... It's cool. I deserve to be called out on it. You had to take the one black female wrestler and make her a drow? It's not like they had any African skin-toned minis in your collection. Uh, the one tool-wielding sides. Size. Sorry. I don't remember this mini. Okay, well, these are so. Um, yeah, you know. Moon Nighter something. Whatever. Uh... That was also when we had Crazy Uncle Stang. Like, I, I, we had a mommy drow and a daddy drow and a grandma drow. She came back later, too. That was that was uh, Lily. Um, but Crazy Uncle Stang was our favorite. He yeah. had an aura, too. Creatures within the aura get minus two to attacks, but plus two to damage. And that includes allies of his and enemies of his. It was called Contagious Frenzy, but I didn't like that. Yeah, I liked... Uh, people saying, aha, I hit this guy, and I said, aha, but you are inside the field of Stang. I think you called it the land of Stang. Even. Nope, field. Field of Stang. Yep. Okay, fair enough. Which is a minus two to attack, so you miss. But if they hit anyway, ah, but you're in the field of Stang, plus two damage. And everybody loved the field of Stang. I think they thought it was dirty, like Muckluck. They tried to leave him alive, actually. They explicitly avoided damaging him in the hopes of using him as a resource. <laughs> because plus two to damage, a piddling bonus to damage at level 11, is worth much more than a 10% penalty to hit. Because 4th edition players. So the week after the fa- the Adams family of Drow, they How fought- do you possibly escalate from Drow, Blake? No, they fought a family of ogres. <gasps> I cove. Um, <laughs> I have a... It, my Warhammer army is the Ogre Kingdom, so I have a bunch of Ogre minis that made it into Delve Knight. I feel like they had to be used once. They're and just too good to not use. All of my, like, hero characters have a certain... Quality. Je ne sais quoi. Every, every single one of Blake's ogres is custom modded, pretty much. Every yeah. one, except for except for poor Billy. Um, do, do you have like a wave of snotlings? The the knoblars, yeah, okay. but they don't they don't count. They're, they're not, not ogres. They're slaves. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Blake I've, is racist. Apparently, <laughs> I've seen gravity. Um, okay, I don't even I haven't. So I'm curious to see how this connects now. Um, the point is, you know, I have a bunch of funny characters, like a big fat ogre-like mage who was the healer. His name is Slog Sexy Pants. There are too many stories about Slog. Yeah, I mean, he's he, a whole story time unto himself. Um, so, you know, they fought the ogres, and I got to express my Warhammer hobby in the form of a uh, session of Delve Knight, and that was cool. Uh, and then after that, it became fairly clear the direction this was going. So, Blake, the week- how could you possibly escalate from ogres? Um... Good question. What are these guys, giants? Yeah. Yeah, so we used our giant mini. Oh, right, yeah. So we used the giants that we had. Uh, like, legit D&D giants. We had a fire giant, or maybe... Yeah. No, 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 because we had the elemental titans the next week. I think these guys were merely large giants. One was... Okay, huge, huge, large, huge. Yeah. Oh, these were just straight giants, like the mounted giant. Yeah, because I know that the one on the on the back of a mammoth yep. was So there. these were, um... Xerxes... Aries and Louise <laughs> and Lux because Blake ran out of dictionary. I don't know what made me want to name the mammoth Lux because the Lux was just the mount for Louise, I think. Atlas shrug. All the way around. Louise was the mount for Lux. It looks like. <laughs> That's not true. Well, Lux is a huge natural beast. <laughs> 
And Louise is a large natural humanoid giant. Yeah. Okay. Also, elite steed. He has a steed power right there. And he's creature type elephant. What do you I want? have a steed power. <laughs> My creature type is handsome. Does that mean I'm an elephant? No. But it, I never forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was, we had some giant minis that we never used. So hooray, we got to use them this week. Blake had also recently seen blue velvet. So these guys have a power named Twin Peaks. Really? Yeah, right there. Oh, I think it was more because they had, like, of a mountain theme. Because we had a big mountain, like... I built a pile of blocks, two big piles of blocks on the on the battlefield to be the terrain for that one. That was very, hard to fit large minis on. Very yeah. vertical. Uh, hot gloves jumped off of them onto guys. It, you know. As you do. It went that way, as you do. The week after that, we pulled out How could those, you possibly escalate from giants? With uh, huge elemental-themed giants, which we called the Elemental Titans. Apparently we had a fire, ice, wood, and earth. Also a metal one. So Asian elements. Also, Blake definitely named these, because the wood titan was named Ashley, not because of Ashley Riot, but because it was an ash tree. The metal titan was named Wedge, because Blake's machine from before. The earth titan was named Hubert, because Blake ran out of ideas. (laughs) Must have been inspired by uh, uh, Futurama. There you go. Angus was a fire titan, because it was a cow. And Wolfric was the Ice Titan because it's Nordic. Because, you know, ice was invented in the North. I remember being super angry at this session because I think I got shoved... No, it was the last session where a controller shoved me into a corner and then barred me there with sustainable powers that would keep me shoved into the corner taking damage regularly. Yeah. There wasn't a really good... I don't recall anything particularly funny happening during this one. This was the session where that player realized that I'm within melee range of him. Mm. Was it one of those so lightning cage doing type situations? Maybe. I think I remember that. I think you were there. I was there. It I was, was there for a lot of It was years. a lightning power. Yep. It was. It was like, yeah, yeah. Like a lightning cage. Okay, so quit doing that. Like, how do you go up from that uh, thing? Because. Did you ask me? Or... Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay, ask me. No, I'm not asking you. <laughs> we're not doing that. So after the Elemental Titans, that was when we pulled out the Beholders. We wanted to have, you know, a good thing where you're like, ah, I see, he's going to keep making things bigger every week. And then this week is like, hey, that's not bigger. No, it's just filled with disintegration beam. <laughs> you know. And we already told you about the Beholders in the last session. Listen to it. Learn to love it. And then learn to hate it. Read my blog. Um, <laughs> I also mentioned in the last session about the machine's top brass. These three epic, huge... Construct monsters. Right, we mentioned last time when the players fought Wicker Man Tweed. Like, the week before that, they fought Train Rex, and the week after that, they fought Collider. Well, in the Escalation series, the week after the Beholders, they fought all three of them at once. And this session actually has some good stories. I was out of town. Yeah, poor Haikov, he's never gotten to run... Which one is it you've never gotten to run? Collider. Collider. Yeah, Collider being, like, the ringleader of the gang. Was this the one in which, uh, was it... The, the 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 player casts uh, facing hole. Yeah, this yeah. is the one we told the story where gloves cast facing hole on. Uh, he caught both Tweed and Train Rex, and then Collider backflipped fifty feet into the air onto the tree that Gloves has already climbed up to, and dropped him in one turn. It's <laughs> like this, I am not going to suffer facing hole to happen. This was also the session where I again with my three D terrain. Most of this three D terrain was set up by one inch blocks. And like sticky tack together to form larger blocks, yep. and pieces of cardboard with a one-inch grid drawn on it. Uh, this session specifically, I did not sticky tack the whole map together. I left specific parts of the map destructible on purpose because Train Rex's whole shtick is that what's he going to do? Stop? He's a twenty-five foot cube of concrete with magic missile at will. Yeah, you know what? Again, we talked about Evan last week. Great guy, love him to death. 
Trainwrex is a steamroller. This steamroller has a power named Crush that he makes while running over creatures. And when Evan saw it, he said, Aha! Trainwrex grabs you with his hand, shoves you into his mouth, chews on you for a while, and poops you out the back as he keeps rolling. We're like, he's a steamroller! Evan was not good at reading the full text of powers. And that's true. One of his weaknesses is the last sentence of the paragraph. But he does always come up with his own fluff explanation for why a thing happens. And it's usually very entertaining. I will still never forget the Trainwrex time... Trainwrex did have a 20-foot wide mouth. Yeah, I will never forget the time when uh, he I, I just overheard him having a session where they were fighting some kind of blob. And he described how one of the players just, you know, like, clatter, clatter, clatter. I deal this much damage. And then Evan's like, you pick up the ochre jelly and body slam it onto a stalagmite, impaling it through one of its ribosomes. <laughs> ribosome. I was done. I was. He had me at ribosome. That was just too much. He had you at the end. Awesome. What do you want from me? Um, it's like Fight Club, I guess. Anyway, Trainrex rolled forward and knocked one of the columns holding one of these cardboard platforms up just down. It just knocked it right out of the way. But the mini is a block. The mini is a brick. So the platform just naturally fell onto Trainrex's flat head. And the characters on that platform slid slightly, as it was now at a, at a slight angle, and then came to a rest. And you know, well, this was, by the way, uh, a rule we had for Delve Knight to try and discourage... The, the, where if you knock over the piece, it stays yeah. where it falls. Yeah. Julie. That was fully in play for this session as well. Play it as, as you well. lie, yeah. Play it as it lies. But don't do it to enemies. By the, end of the, by the end of that session, Trainwrecks had collapsed most of that battlefield. It was, uh, it was pretty exciting. I also know that was the session where one player got stuck under him. He rolled up onto blocks that were low. It was just like a five-foot-high platform. And a player got s- stuck... Trapped in a hole with Trainwreck sitting above, where he couldn't go anywhere. Oh no, I remember what Trainwreck got paralyzed. Somebody stopped him from moving. <laughs> While the That's player funny. was trapped underneath, they were like, "Let me out!" And they were like, "Dude, I'm sorry, I can't afford to have Trainwreck driving over us anymore. It does a lot of damage." That was not the last time we saw a player spend time under a giant monster. Oh no! In fact, we're we're getting there. So that was the la- that was the week where we were level twenty, which meant. Next week, we were going to start transitioning into the real stuff. The epic level monsters. We had never done this for Delve Knight before. The very thought of one-shot epic encounters was like... Did any of us run anything in epic by that time? I don't know if you were there yet in the tower campaign, so it might have been our first experience. I don't know. Well, anyway. I remember being close. I remember you talking about it being okay. close, but I don't remember whether it was close one way or the other. So these minis sit around the store in various places. People knew that I had the three minis for the machine's top brass sitting on top of the miniatures display case. People knew that the ogres were in the display case. You know, they could see them on any it's given week. It's a display week. case. So at the point where we had used the machine top brass, people were thinking that this was when it was appropriate to ask the question, how do you go uphill from there? Because we didn't have any more minis that big. Oh, sure, as soon as I stopped doing it. <laughs> Except, of course, for one. Because some people at the store were around back when they were doing the collectible minis thing, and they came out with the Colossal Red Dragon. We're Colossal Red for short. Yeah, we, we, we made it a proper noun. Colossal Red was his name. Yep. Dear Super Pack member, this miniature is 8 by 8 and what, 15 inches tall? 13? Yeah. It's a prime number. It's wingspan. Like 15. 
It, yeah, it, it's got the miniature has a wingspan of like 15 inches, you know, but going because it goes out over the edge of its base, and it's sitting down. He's actually like crouching in to get himself on that eight inch by eight inch base. For reference, a colossal monster is six by six. Yeah, six by six. Yeah, six this by guy's six. Colossal plus. Yeah. Um, Which was a thing in 3.0, back in the stupid days. So everybody knew that that was going to be, like, our capstone monster, right, for these last three weeks when we were going to do three epic sessions. And then we pulled him out in the first week. It was yep. it was fairly exciting. So the players had to fight Solo, Red Dragon, Colossal Red. Uh, and I came up with... Did, did I invent this, or did I get the idea from someone else? Did I, I, get it from I think you? we invented it together. Okay. Like... Not independently, we did it in conversation because we looked at it and said Colossal Red is large, but he is still a solo. Even with Evan's solo saber, you can just like stun a guy by poking him his duodenum, and then Colossal Red just sits there and scratches himself while you wail on his belly button. And we also didn't want to, you know, it was like, okay, well then maybe we could give him the Ashley Riot trick, but that just doesn't seem appropriate for a huge thing like him. He shouldn't be zapping around the battlefield at lightning speed. No, not super fast. And you know what? A red dragon with a risk mechanic, it just doesn't jive. Furthermore, it was sort of like, you know what? Really, when you're talking about a monster this big, he ought to be able to take damage, like, to a specific part. Like, if you cripple his, you know, something that, his wing is bigger than any monster we have ever fought. The, you can't just say, I damaged Colossal Red's whole body. Like, if his wing is the Not part- Final Fantasy. If the, if the wing is the part that's close to you, that's probably the part you're gonna have to hit, and the wings can absorb quite a bit of damage before he starts to have indigestion. Right, more like Final Fantasy. Um, also, and that was when we kind of came up with that, he was like, hey, what if we track the HP differently for each part of his body? Like his torso will be something, his head will be something else, so that, you know, if his wings are completely crippled, he can keep going. You need to end up killing, like, the head or something. And he can't fly. Well, on the other hand, if you cut his head off, yeah, that'll probably put him down. And hey, you know what, this is an even better idea, because this way, we can have him have a different attack with each of those limbs at different initiatives, so he's spaced out across the... The, you know, all those player initiatives. And they can do different things. He's not just, you know, a brute taking six turns. His right arm is a brute. His left arm is a soldier that does different stuff. Because he blocks with his right arm while swiping with his left. I think we actually did it the other way around. We might have. Or, mo- or both the arms were the same monster. Was an arm a controller? Well, they were... His head was a controller, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the arms were the brutes. It was... Neat, because as soon as we figured out what was going on, Blake printed out a picture of a red dragon and labeled it with a bunch of boxes. Head, torso, wings, legs, tail, right arm, left arm, and stomach contents. Because he was colossal. So, you know. Come on. He swallowed players whole. The first time he just bit a player and then was like, Aha! I succeeded in grappling you with my Vitatech. Clatter, clatter, clatter. Gulp. This is when we stopped having respect for how the game worked. Because... The torso is a gargantuan natural beast, as torsos are wont to be. But the legs were a gargantuan appendage. Appendage is not a creature type. <laughs> There's a small sub box here. Yeah, in my in the write corner. up in my write up for what the session was going to be like. It's labeled too big for this abstraction. That explains. All right, here's how this works. Uh, he's co- one creature. He's also seven. Yeah, much like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, if a limb is reduced to zero, it's severed or crippled, and he loses the use of it. He obviously can't survive this happening to his head or torso. No part of Red can be forcibly teleported away from the rest of him. Gloves. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, if an effect forcibly teleports his head or torso, it takes the rest of him with it. <laughs> which was actually really epic if you thought about the way some of these, like, teleport a monster moves works. A lot of times our players would reskin them or they were naturally skinned as, like, you grab the monster, pick him up, and put him back down where you want. So, you know, Colossal Red leans down to bite you. You grab him by the nostril and judo throw his ass to the other side of the battlefield. <laughs> it was very fun. Uh, we had a weird abstraction with proneness, too. You had to knock all, th- or you had to knock at least three of his legs prone. Like, if you knock one leg well, prone... his legs were one thing. Right, no, 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 but, but like, his legs and arms. He okay. walks on all fours. So if you knock his hind legs prone, he can still, like, hold himself up on his front legs. But if you hold one of his, knock, like, one of his front legs prone, and obviously a leg can't be prone, but the idea was, you know, you smack it and he can't use it to support himself. And some of the other... Uh, Everything but the head was like immune to like stun and daze effects, that sort of thing. Uh, I I think you could stun the legs. Maybe. A lot of it was weird. A a bunch of it was immune to psychic. Stunning the legs makes sense. Yeah. You are. I remember one of these fights where where was something like that, but Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Oh, right. The torso's only attack was digest. So you had to swallow someone whole for the torso to do anything useful. But it did it on its initiative pass, and that pass, and that was the, that was the, yeah. So you knew when you were going to get digested. Mm-hmm. I think and you could get out because it had regurgitate at will, but mandatory while bloodied. Trigger Red's torso takes damage from the inside. Effect, place all swallowed creatures prone in a square within four squares. They all take 40 feet falling damage. That's how high his head yeah. was off the ground. <laughs> Measured it with a ruler. It was eight inches. Um, the, uh, so this was a huge hit, the Colossal Red Session. It was, like, just a ton of fun. It was really challenging. The party won, but they really felt threatened. There were tons of good micro stories in there that really only the players could probably remember. I remember that one guy got swallowed, and another guy, I want to say, got swallowed on purpose to heal him. Right? That sounds familiar. I feel like I remember a bard in the stomach. (laughs) That might have been wishful thinking. Worked two in the bush. No, the bush was later. Um, Right. There were also some, apparently... Oh, Red's head is the only part of him that's not immune to psychic damage or attacks targeting will. Right. So you could use a fortitude attack to stun an arm. Right. Yep. But you couldn't use anything that targeted will on any of the other parts of his body. Makes sense. Yep. Um, also, oh yeah, high up. His head is eight squares off the ground and can only be attacked appropriately. <laughs> Unless you knock him prone... By knocking his legs out from under him, which was also something that the party actually or leveraged. you ready in action until he comes down for a bite attack and punch him in the nose. Yeah. Like, like a shark. Or the gills. Yeah, there you go. But, <laughs> so as fun as that was, I mean, this, like I said, this is one of our most successful Delve Knights, I'm going to go ahead and say. I mean, it was mm-hmm. not, not number one, but it was up there. The torso is resistant 15 to all damage, except damage done from the inside, which is only immune to acid. <laughs> not fire. <laughs> Um, I swim in lava, but I better not swallow. So people were like, oh man, oh man, what are they going to do next? So how do you go, uh, how, how do you escalate from the Colossal Red Dragon, Heiko? Two? Cthulhu. Oh, that makes more sense. We had this big, really beautiful... Wait, no, it doesn't. Why? It doesn't make more sense. That's because it's Cthulhu? Dragon, what do you, reverse alphabetical? Anyway. Um, we had this great... Looking Cthulhu mini that we got from uh, Horror Clicks, uh, which was a short-lived uh, Hero Clicks-based game from WizKids. They did this promotion where they would send us this big, beautiful Cthulhu mini if we bought like a case of Horror Clicks. They also had a return policy, 
So I bought the case, got the Cthulhu, returned the Horrorclix. In my defense, I told my sales representative that this was my plan from the beginning. I was like, so let me get this straight. I can get the case of your unsellably bad game. Get this free, awesome set piece that I can, like, put on my coffee table and feel like my dick is as big as a train. And then, 60 days <laughs> later... standards. 60 days later, return the entire unopened case of Horrorclix for a full refund of my purchase price, retaining my free gift at no charge. And he's like, yeah, that's about the size of it. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> then I want three. <laughs> so don't hold it against me. Um, so that miniature I ended up getting taken off of his horror clicks base and put on a 8x8 or 10x10. It's probably just 8x8. Probably. Yeah. I remember walking in, because I was thinking the same thing, how could we possibly top Colossal Red? And seeing Cthulhu sitting on the table and being like, really? Because that was it. We just put him on the table. <laughs> yep, he was like, just standing this, there. This is your oh no moment. Roll initiative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prepare because the roll initiative against say, Cthulhu cause, the Great. Because that's what it was. The, 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 the oh shit moment was we all saw the table. <laughs> then it got really, really bad. Yeah, unfortunately, of our three epic level encounters, the first one was the best. As it turns out, Cthulhu <laughs> a little too tough. I just made him too hard. I, uh, I, I, I let the filter go and just ladled unbeatably hard powers on this guy. Here's, I think that's, um, the aura was scary, but it was only 20 psychic. It was not unreasonable for a very, very high level guy. Right. Even well, he was but it only... was 20 psychic the whole map, pretty much. Aura yeah. 10. Yeah. Which was radius 14. Pretty much the whole map. But here's where it gets awkward. Cthulhu's head, at least, had a range attack, range 16, because I think Blake measured the map and figured out that it was about 24 squares wide, so he could hit anything at any time, or something like that. Maybe. It was an attack that did some damage, reasonable, but you gained madness points. A madness point is an action point, except when you say, I spend an action point, Cthulhu says, no, 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 you spend one of your madness points, and I decide what action you take. So if he hit you with a basic attack, your action points were done. Well, I don't think you lose your action point. Could no. spend an action point. Cthulhu can make that player spend a... Ma- yeah, so... Yes, but he controls what action you takes. But you don't lose your action point, is all I'm saying. If you, It doesn't make it better, no. If you have a turn where you can spend... Uh, where you can say, Hey, Cthulhu, then punch your ally in the face and continue with your turn, your turn is wrong and very 4th edition. Yeah. Besides that, he was largely the same. Um... Head and torso are the weak points. Wings fly, legs walk, arms grab, arms grab. Yeah. Face eats. Face eats. Also, he could be actually be knocked prone with just taking his legs out, because unlike Colossal Red, he was bipedal. Oh, this one was awesome. Trigger, an enemy targets Cthulhu with a burst blaster area attack. Anything that would hit more than one thing. Interrupt. 28 versus will on the triggering creature. If that hits, make, a, make an attack against... Every al- enemy that uh, can see Cthulhu, then choose an 8x8 area within the range, transplant that whole section of the battlefield into the other section of the battlefield. So, haha, I hit you with a burst. No, I teleport myself to another part of the map, and I teleport everything that was in the huge area, the 8x8 area that, that Cthulhu moved into, everything in there goes into where he was. So he takes a bunch of the players, he figures out what 8x8 block is full of players, and puts it in front of the incoming burst blast attack. Yep. Cthulhu was hard. 
Uh, also, the, the the one really unflavorful thing about Cthulhu was the arm thing, because one of the, the, the arms just didn't have psychic powers. His head made people terrorized and, and go mad. His hands just punched guys and picked them up. They were pretty non-Cthulhu. Right. So the point is, I, I had intended for him to pick players up and throw them to the opposite side of the battlefield. They had this power where they could grab a guy and then just hurl him and have him take a ton of falling damage. I go had a, other ideas. Uh... <laughs> Player basketball. Throw him, pro, release the a cre- grab creature prone into a square forty feet above a square within eight. So I dropped him right next to me. Then use my other arm to make an attack against that creature with a plus four bonus because they're prone or plus two or something. Yep, picked him up. So I basically spiked him, grabbed him out of the middle of the air, then hurled him. Uh, but I was tired of players by that point. You certainly <laughs> killed... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember you killing a guy like that where you picked him up and threw him down again. Was and this one a CPK? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was I, a I fast CPK. Oh, right. The throw was only a minor. That was why. Because you could grab a guy and throw him in the same turn. Yep. So, rough. Also, was there an action? <laughs> yeah, and there were action points. So I, I remember at least one turn you did... That's right. Every time somebody spent an action point, Cthulhu got an action point. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah, so the arms would like pick up a guy, spike him to the ground. as a, Pick up a guy standard. Minor, spike him to the ground. Action point, pick up a guy standard. Minor, spike him to the ground. Yep. Then my other arm went. Yeah. <laughs> Player basketball. It was over in a hurry. So this was a TPK, and the high point of the session was initiative. But I'm not, I don't feel as bad about it as I should, because at least Cthulhu got over. Yes. <laughs> That's true, we can I do think, that again. But then, I mean, I think, I think as a, again, as a player who was there that day, I sort of feel like we knew it wasn't going to go well as soon as we saw Cthulhu. <laughs> Hold up, did you read these skills? I get the wings have acrobatics, but why do the arms have thievery? I don't know. Grab a guy. Steal his wallet. Hurl a guy! <laughs> <laughs> It was probably a joke to you. <laughs> I did that a lot, right? Little, like, jokes on the sheet, because only Hykov was supposed to see them. So how do you top Great Cthulhu? How do you top Great Cthulhu, indeed? We didn't. Fortress Maximus. <laughs> if you don't recognize this, you were either born in the 70s or the 90s. Uh, so, for many years, Nin- I've had... 19, 1990s. We've had this uh, childhood toy of mine sitting on a high shelf in the main showroom of Fun and Games. It's a big Transformer. I think the biggest Transformer that they had ever made, Fortress Maximus. It's probably, what does he stand, two and a half feet tall? About. Yeah. Um, transforms into a fort. His whole point is that he was the headquarters of the Autobots during uh, Season 2. However, that planet was also a guy, for Transformers reasons. Yeah, I remember it, it was in the Transformers movie where they were, like, having a battle on, you know, their giant, sprawling, super-techno-Transformers-looking fortress. And then at some point, the fortress was like, you know what? I've lost patience for this. Turn into a guy and start punching stuff. I want to say the Decepticons fortress who turned into a guy Trypticon had also shown up and they ended up having a fortress versus fortress punching fight but the point is something this... we would not repeat in Delve Knight for minutes yeah <coughs> um, this was a, the biggest thing we had that could be described in any way as a mini well besides me yeah uh, yeah, we were gonna have, uh, we joke- gonna have Heiko be a session, but the table could not support him. <laughs> Jokes were made about Heiko standing on the table, but we figured he couldn't possibly resist the urge to just kick minis at people. He was also shorter than Fortress Maximus standing on the table. <laughs> uh, so we went to the same, uh, idea of the partitioned monster. Only Fortress Maximus 
had the handy uh, expedient of having a lot of flat surfaces on his body. Why does he was good terrain? Yeah. So we sort of just had him move around. The players could like climb on him. If you could find a place on him where the mini could rest, there's where you could be. And instead of having his be his individual body parts were the parts that you attacked, it was more of a software partition. <laughs> so Fortress Maximus had a main loop in the head. A ranged weapon subroutine. In the small guns. A melee combat subroutine. In the large guns, because eventually a rocket launcher is indistinguishable from a caver. Uh, a motion control subroutine. In the legs. And an automatic repair subroutine. In the crotch. It didn't actually matter what part of his body you targeted. You Except actually... the crotch. <laughs> you actually, I think we had them roll randomly to see which one they had? Yeah. Remember how I mentioned that there was a small sub box there? What are those called? A uh, sidebar? Thank you. A sidebar that said too big for this abstraction. Fortress Maximus has one called size category absurd. At this point, we had lost all respect for the naming system. So instead of being a large aberrant magical beast, these things were absurd Autobot subsystems. (laughs) Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Monty. Do, Uh, Do you smoke a pipe, sir? (laughs) <laughs> Size category absurd starts with This character is more like terrain than an actual creature It's just terrain that makes attacks at you In the same way that in 4th edition You don't make a save against falling The gravity makes a reflex attack against you Yeah, we were definitely uh, channeling a little bit of um, uh, Derision Well, what was that What was that video game? Bucky uh, O'Hare? With uh, the Colossus. Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, yes. We were definitely channeling some Shadow of the Colossus for this session, uh, where, like, the players were expected to be crawling around on him. Uh, Fortress Maximus actually had facing and, like, line of sight constraint. Could only attack things in his front arc, etc. And he could only attack you if you were far enough forward of the gun that it could make a believable arc. Yeah, like, if you were hiding around his feet, he had a hard time shooting at you. Though he could move So on- he didn't. So he could move on top of you, though. Poor Brot. Uh, he had a stomp attack. I should point out that the feet... We also didn't put this mini on a base. Each of the feet is very conveniently, I think, four by six inches. Like, you know, rectangular, because they're robot feet. <laughs> um, and so you just pick the mini up and put it back down somewhere within its movement range. Mm-hmm. So he has this stomp attack where it's like, move, also step on a guy. And uh, After movement effects are resolved, the creature takes 10d12 plus 20 damage, is not prone, and is stunned... Until Fortress Maximus is no longer standing on them. <laughs> Players have, creatures have the opportunity to run out of the way when he steps on them. They were, you were never, like, automatically hit by this. It didn't even roll an attack against you. The idea was his footstep is so slow that if you don't want to get stepped on by the freaking Empire State Building with legs, you can just hustle out of the way. But if you choose not to hustle out of the way... Did I even write that part in there, or was that, like, special caveat for Brock? You may shift the sport as possible distance to avoid him. Those that do not may instead use any attack power. Ah. It does not say comma brought. Yeah. <laughs> we um, didn't know what Julie could make it that week. <laughs> you didn't have is, to say that. That was a blight. It wasn't even an attack of opportunity. It was a super attack of opportunity. Like, we know what you guys have always wanted. To use an attack of opportunity as a daily. And so there, here's your chance. This foot around. is... Or to use a daily yeah. as an attack of opportunity. This foot is coming down, but it is not going to do anything to evade what you have to throw at it. I just want to point out that the, all these things had immunity to poison, immunity to necrotic damage, hot, heavy resistance to cold, heavy resistance to psychic, vulnerable five lightning. Robots. I learned that from JRPG. <laughs> Thousand cubic foot fist. 
<laughs> the, um, so, Brat, who you've heard of, in fact, it wasn't even Brat, it was Bratella at oh, that yeah. point, yeah. Uh, at the end of that battle, Bratella was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, hot-footed it all the way across the battlefield to uh, Fortress Maxis's foot and start, you know, going, I've been working on the railroad all the live long day, like, bashing on his toes. And then Fortress Maximus was like, that's adorable. I'm gonna step on you now, so, you know, shoo. And Brat was like, hell fuck no! Daily attack as hard as I can! Like, okay. <laughs> Foot came down, Brock didn't go for a long, long time. <laughs> just skipped her turn. Did, did we not, did he, he have to get knocked over? Did he actually get knocked prone before Brock was able to escape? He might have. It was very Kenpachi in movie one. Yeah. Um. Spoilers. The, uh, at a certain point, uh, so anyway, so like when they attacked one subsystem, it like randomly went to another. So he had this like healer. His crotch was a healer that would heal him. And when they attacked him, they randomly hit a different part. But players could attempt an Arcana check because Arcana is the most scientific. Is it was Arcana, right? Uh, Arcana or Dungeoneering because Dungeoneering is also nautics, right? Which is also, but Dungeoneering is also has earring in it, which makes it sound like engineering. Which you know, yeah. could we, be we went to that well a lot. Mm. Um. To decide what part of it they were hitting. Like, oh, I want to hit him in the in the weapon subsystem so that he stops shooting us with that freaking huge gun. Uh, the healing was exactly as random. Yeah. It took a... He could heal a random subsystem for six dice of damage or a subsystem of choice for four dice. Mm. Anyway, the... Um, so eventually... They managed. This one was much easier than Cthulhu. In fact, it was easier than Colossal Red. Really, I mean, despite being too far a, the other way. Yeah, we went we went too far in the opposite direction on this one. I was I was burned by the Cthulhu encounter. Oh, that's right. I was super proud of this one. I didn't want to make the uh, I didn't want to make the players suffer that kind of way a second turn in a row. So, and I, I went too far. So Fortress Maximus, for all his like bluster, I mean, he was awesome. He was definitely awesome, but he was not really all that hard. Uh, but one of the things about the Fortress Maximus toy, are we ready to get to that part? Yeah. One of the things about the Fortress Maximus toy is that, uh, it was actually at a time when they were coming out with a bunch of Transformers that had a detachable head that also turned into a little guy. So, like, you could turn the Transformer into whatever it was, a jet or a car or whatever, uh, and then when you turn it into a guy, you had this smaller guy that you turned into a head and then plugged the head into the, into the dude. This was a whole line of Transformers that came out at the time, but they decided, you know what, Fortress Maximus can do this same trick. Fortress Maximus' is, Maximus's head is a guy. But that head guy was as big as an Optimus Prime toy. Like, you know, it was huge. So when they finally killed Fortress Maximus's main loop, A, he fell over, which was hilarious. I think he hit at least one player on the way down. And B, brought escaped. And C, the head, turned into a guy and sprang off and was like, ha, I'm not done yet, and started running around fighting the players with his newfound newfound mobility of just being a mini. (laughs) This was when I realized that the session was not going to be winnable for me. So I decided to just focus on manipulating everything I could in every way I could to deal as much damage as possible. The primary backup had a basic attack that pushed 2d8. The idea is this mini had, like, huge feet. Just the way they put the mini together, he had, like, skinny little arms, pretty, you know, boxy transformer torso, little head, and huge freaking legs, which were actually Optimus Prime's horn, or uh, Fortress Maximus's horns, when the head was transformed. It was a lot like Lord Business, really. Yeah, they, yeah. But the, 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 the legs were as long as the rest of the body, and 50% more, and had these, these gigantic Mega Man feet at the bottom. So I thought, this guy should have a banana's kick attack that just sends people rolling. I looked around, said, all right. Who can I possibly take out? 
Hello, Dave. Ran up, charged Dave, punted him in the crotch, sent him flying like 14 squares, action point, ran forward, charged, punted Dave off the edge of the table, which we ruled was infinite falling damage. And Dave was done. It was worth it. It was a long session, too. Oh, yeah. It was a very long session. At that session. point, we were it. running around 9, 30, 10. Yeah. Right. Let's see. What Did he do anything this else? This thing started at, what, 6, 5, 30, 6? Six. Six. So there's a four hour, four hour yeah. session basically. The the healing factor accelerated it pretty hard. As long as also the maneuvering, which meant you couldn't target what you wanted every turn, so you couldn't focus fire a guy down. It was designed to be longer. It was designed to be epic. Yeah, yeah. and it was. Uh, so then they finally managed. So they managed to kill Fortress Maximus's head, and the head fell down. The thing is, I said there was a whole line of these transformers with a detachable head, right? Those transformers were about as big as Fortress Maximus's head in humanoid mode. So Fortress Maximus's head's head popped off, became a five-foot-tall D&D scale mini. This is the way the toy is built, by the way. And was like, ha-ha! You're not done with me yet! Man, this guy was nine levels below the party, too. He was just there to be irritating. Where Where is Overwatch? There's a power in here that says, whenever an enemy becomes adjacent to me, run. Uh, yeah, freaking a bucket. And that is, that's the name of the power, not Blake being angry. And that is at will. So this guy's whole job was, no, maybe, no, ah! It was just there to make things longer. <laughs> it was pretty funny, though. When the third, when the secondary, secondary head jumped off, I feel like the party was, uh, enjoyed something about that. <laughs> they did. Everybody but Dave. Because he was dead. The Bra- languages are common in Fortran. <laughs> the programming language you chose because it had Fort in the name? Yes. <laughs> Lawful neutral. Okay, I'll allow that. Uh, this is one of the problems about 4th edition, in that things are not relative. Uh, these guys had a strength of about 27. Which was not terribly interesting. Yeah, right here. The primary backup strength is 29. He's a gargantuan robot, but that's just not unreasonable for a um, maximum level guy. I mean, the range weapons had a strength of 25. There's no narratively strong in there. There's no way to get strong enough to just, you know, lift a planet. And it killed us. Eventually, we ended up just giving guys a strength score of 80. Because it had no bearing on their attacks at all. Nope, well, and you just caveated their fort and attack bonuses down. Yep. Appropriately. Harumph. Harumph. In the One Piece campaign, we just had characters be narratively strong. Like, if their power, like, enabled them through some kind of, you know, like, cheesy... Throw a boat. They yeah, throw, throw a boat. boat. That's the thing that happened. Yep. All right, so there's two more stories we want to tell, and I think, like, we want to tell them in the opposite of chronological order, because one of them was the... Okay. When the campaign became... Or when the Delve Knight became a campaign in okay. Dulles, Planar Metropolis. And the other was the transition between... 4th edition Delve Knight and Pathfinder Delve Knight. Okay. Dulles. Okay. Named because we're both from the area, roughly. Uh, Blake is from D.C., and I'm from a town with a much, much better competitive sports team. Um, the Bandits in pro hockey. Are the Bandits still around? Dulles Planar Metropolis. Uh, it The idea was I wanted to have a setting that was like a giant city that all kinds of weird stuff could go on in, and what we ended up doing was we decided to have Delve Knights start keying into each other. There was an appetite from the players at the time for some continuity mm-hmm. in Delve Knights, so we 
Which is the weirdest thing, because they loved no continuity in the beginning. We respond to our crowd. When we switched over to Pathfinder, Pathfinder suffers a little bit more than 4th edition from that one-shot, you know, nature. Like, you don't have as much to pull out in one session. You don't... Not everybody has daily powers that they don't feel they get to use. Um, so... We had a, like, a, a complex story that took place over months, I want to say, of, like, going yes. back. We started them off with a goal, and we're like, here's the thing. You're in this city. You're looking for three magical artifacts that combine to form a cool effect. Um, and the players just immediately scrunked it up. I remember the first session, it was like, in this city, there's, like, epic level monsters running around. You know, this, this is a, this is a city with levels 1 to 30. And the only way you Pathfinder can... only goes up to 20. Okay, well, you know what I mean. No, you were wrong. The point is, if you don't want to just get pancaked by some, like, jerk walking down the street that knows he can get away with it, you need to join a guild. I was taking a lot of inspiration from Ravnica City of Guilds Magic the Gathering set. The point is that in the first session it was like, hey players, here's some guilds to choose from. And each one will have a different mission for you to try and join them. And then over the course of the next three sessions, the players uh, proceeded to botch every mission for each guild, right? You okay? Yeah, I don't know where my wallet is. <laughs> I gave it to her an hour ago. Okay. Um, it was closer to two hours ago. It would have been funnier if she had lifted it from your pocket when she was hugging you earlier. Her hands, her arms also have She tried. Um, <laughs> then she realized that she still had it. <laughs> anyway. So, right? Is that is that how it happened? And I guess yeah, I- they... Just the first three sessions were, I want to do a mission, but instead I'll murder this prime minister. Yeah. Blake. <laughs> They got ended up getting all three of those guilds pissed off at them. I think they ended. Up, one of them didn't know that the party was the ones who had screwed them, and so they were able to join those guys. Eventually. Yeah, they they joined by omission, right? Um, because at a certain point, we we're like, okay, you know what? We want to move on to the next chapter of the story now. So you guys just join the freaking guild. Yeah, this is week three of the intro, it's starting to sound like one of my campaigns. <laughs> um. So then they were running around looking for stuff, and they kept. I had this one plot hook with these two Medusas who were, like, being kept captive as some kind of, like... Part of the slave trade, I think. Yeah, yeah, some perverse, like, uh... There was, it was a Medusa and her daughter, right? Like, it was an underage Medusa. I even got to use the young monster template on her. And I had them on the page, and the party just never went after that hook... And we, just, we kept giving them hints, and they kept going, ultimately, we could do this. They freed a whole bunch of other slaves. Yeah. Um, and I kept, like, changing how they were related to the story to try to bring them... Never ended up happening. <laughs> they just... Blake hands me a sheet with what's going on, and I just scan it for about five minutes and run a session based on it. And week after week after week, until eventually it got to the point that just says, the Medusa plot. Yep, the Medusas are still there. And that was it. Because he needed that space for other more important things. Those Medusas are still on the run. But there was a lot going on in this city. Uh, Oh, um, Mordenkainen. Or not Mordenkind. Someone like Mordenkind. It was Mordenkind. It was Mordenkind's Magnificent Emporium. They went to the physical location of Mordenkind's Magnificent Emporium from 4th edition days. Which is a lot like the D&D version of FAO Schwartz from Home Alone 2. They just had every damn thing. Uh, the, uh, one of the items that they were searching for was, uh, was, was in some piles of crap somewhere, but Mordenkind's inventory was totally poorly organized, but... Was it, did you do like your, yes, I'm a crazy old man! Yes, I am the man of a thousand voices that all sounds suspiciously the same. Was there I, some exciting well, part about Moinkind you wanted to bring up? The party got TPK'd. 
while going through his uh, warehouse, the party got TPK'd, woke up at the end of the, ses- uh, the session with Mordenkainen just standing there. This was not D&D Mordenkainen, because he doesn't exist in Pathfinder. This was completely different uh, Mordenkainen, who looked probably a little more like Vince Vaughn. But uh, he... Went to the party, and I said, You all wake up from being dead and see Morden standing, Morden kind of standing there, just stroking his beer, going, You owe me. <laughs> Never came into play. But the party from then on was terrified of that character. Because if he can find us, he can make us pay our debts. <laughs> um, so eventually there ended up being like a whole city-wide war between the two most powerful guilds. Uh, it turned out the guild house of the Players Guild transformed into Fortress Maximus and they piloted it to a, fighting the bad guys from the other side. A robot that ran on awesome. Not like Gurren Lagan, which was fighting spirit. This one actually ran on when you do need enough things. If you, if you started playing it safe, it would power down. They needed an NPC's help to run that thing, because no PC was sufficiently powerful enough to be the Red Ranger. Uh, another thing that they had going on uh, was that the bad guys were like the undead guild, and the leader of their guild was Screw-Eye, Dragon Demi-Lich. A, so, a, go ahead. They have, you have the Draco-Lich, famous like, holy shit, is already a dragon, pretty intense. Already a Lich, pretty intense. A dragon that makes himself a Lich is, you know, out the wazoo. Well, Demi-Lich is like the Lich plus two minus one, because he's, it loses a lot. But it Arms gains, and legs. Yeah, but it gains a lot in that it becomes a floating, nigh-indestructible, like, death machine. Yep. That's so, the thing. this big dragon skull comes floating down the street. It's only about the size of a pickup truck, but, uh, you know. But it's a dragon skull the size of a pickup truck floating around just casting lightning at people. Yeah, or disintegrate, or implosion. Yep. I mean, it was pretty intense. He loved Saver Dies. Oh, yeah. That was, like, all he wanted to do. <laughs> and the whole, one of their whole big things is like, look, guys, you can, you can fight this guild... But do not present any problem that seems like Screw-Eye is going to need to descend from his tower and deal with. Because when they wake him up, buildings fall down. (laughs) This was another good one, because we gave that speech once or twice, and from then on we said, Hey, do you want to do this? And one person at the table said, Hang on, Screw-Eye might find out. And someone at the table would say, Who's Screw-Eye? And we would say, have you ever seen We're Back, a dinosaur story? Get out. <laughs> Read a book. <laughs> I even made an adorable little miniature for it out of this, like, old Warhammer pewter dragon head that I had, and I glued screws to the eye sockets, because this guy literally had screws sticking out where his eyes should be. Because, you know. Yeah, he didn't give you the old screw eye. No, he... Which like, I guess is a thing. I imagine the eye, the screws like wiggling around like a, uh, like independently like a, a chameleon's eyes, and then when they like point at you, death rays come out. Oh, like that fork in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was some powerful eye muscles. Yeah, that, uh, that got creepier. Just, <laughs> just now that I started picturing that. Um, in the end, the whole thing just flew apart spectacularly. The party, Managed to assemble the unbeatable combo of three artifacts by getting the NPC villain to do it for them. And then it was like, okay, well now this guy has the unbeatable combo. And then we had a session where it was just, see if you can figure out a way to deal with that. This was, uh, this was a puzzle boss. The final boss of Delve Knight at All was a puzzle boss where you couldn't solve it by punching. Because his artifacts would protect him through happenstance. As you move to a, a, a swing at him... Even though you got a crit, good for you, a chandelier fell on your sword and knocked it out of the way. Even though you aimed perfectly and you fired that spell, a flock of doves sailed through the root beer factory and prevented you from being able to tell where he was. Just 
The universe conspired to make him unbeatable because he was the main character of the universe now. That was the point of the three artifact combo. It could even be something like, you stu- you're like up going to magic missile him, and then it fails because you stubbed your toe on the bed this morning. And the player would be like, no, I didn't. And I would be like, yes, you did. You just managed to put it off until now. Retro- now yeah, now retroactively, it's- the universe is rearranging to make you miss. And just full circle, the players were the bad guys trying to stop the hero of the universe for a paycheck. <laughs> They failed, I think. They Granted, the hero of the universe was an ogre mage, Gary Stew. Yeah. Yeah. By design. Yeah. What was his name? That's some great name for him. <laughs> like, and you know, Slavo the Passable? You had some bad names leading up to this guy. Enslavo. Enslavo oh, the Passable. Oh, well then his epithet is not the Passable. <laughs> Jeez, look at this, right here. Scenario, Chester's Wrath. Doesn't matter who Chester is, the point is the entire second column is possible leads on the Medusa. <laughs> the entire second column. Then, this one, War of the Bloodsword. One Fourth of the three column. artifacts was Labraccio's Bloodsword. Fourth column, sidebar, that says, by the way, here are the Medusa's names, and here's a rough idea of their stats, but it's now a small section on the side. Just in case you happen to stumble across them, they're still there. They keep getting smaller and Still there. Still there in the corner. (laughs) Shield of popularity. Josen Shadow. Josen Shadow, yeah. Okay. Was that an anagram for something? I don't know. Maybe. Let's not try to figure it out right now. Yeah. Alright. So anyway, um, the party never succeeded in winning. Nope. I don't remember how that ended. They fled because they figured out he was unbeatable, and then Delve Knight ended. Oh yeah, there was one session after that, but it was even worse. I just, I just flipped it over and was like, what is this other session? Oh right, the one with the coattles. <laughs> in fact, the name of the, yeah, that didn't happen. That was the, that was the dark match. Yeah. It did not occur canonically. <laughs> the name of the last session was Unbeatable. Nice. And it has a section here called Intervention by the Shadowy Cabal that Runs the City. Which is, you know, a possible way to solve this guy. But the players have spent the last four sections trying not to get the Cabal involved because the Cabal had a tendency to solve a problem by teleporting the people causing a problem out into the barren infinite wasteland. It's like going to the cornfield, except the cornfield is made of sandworms. (laughs) Instead of cornworms. So the last story I want to tell is uh, sort of like the... like That was a, a suitable finale for the Pathfinder portion of, of Delve Knight, which just didn't ever run as smoothly as the 4th edition version did. It is, you know, There's a better product for playing one-shot Pathfinder games. It's called Pathfinder Society. Uh, and we were always competing with it at our, you know... That's one of the reasons we stopped Delve Knight. A better thing happened. Um, I was fired. I found out from the new guy. <laughs> you know I love you. He was really mad about that. I know you were really mad about that. I'm sorry. Consider it a character builder. You're a better man now for having gotten over that bad. Yeah, only because I was there. You're a better man for being out of my melee range. <laughs> You're a more complete man. Um, anyway. So we uh, had this thing where we were like... At some point we decided to go over to Pathfinder because 4th edition was over. It was just over. Like, there was no more 4th edition to have. And we weren't going to be selling any 4th edition books anymore, so there was little point to... Pathfinder was really picking up in popularity at that point. And 4th fourth edition had just about published its last thing anyway, so yeah. it made perfect sense to transition. Um, but we wanted to commemorate it in some way. One of the things that had been part of the narrative of Delve Knight from the very beginning was that the idea was that all these battles were actually happening in a big coliseum, run by a, like, villainous entrepreneur named Venom McChain, 
which is an anagram of Vince McMahon, another wrestling reference. Blake had recently gotten into wrestling when we came up with this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also uh, had a Chain Devil Mini that was cute. Yeah, it worked out well. Anyway, so the point is that uh, this was not really a... There was no fourth wall to break. They were, this didn't really come into play in any of those earlier Delve Night sessions. But for the last Delve Night session, we decided, here's the story. The Delve Night Arena you guys all have been toiling in for the last several years... Uh, has been subject or is being subjected to a hostile takeover, uh, where my like character Venom McChain, the play- character represented by Blake, I actually played in Delve Knight as Venom McChain once or twice over the course of those several years, has been bought out by Sligan the Unfortunate, which is a character that has appeared in every campaign I've run, and now including Delve Knight. I had to get him in there at the end just to make sure. Let's say every setting. Okay, that seems he hasn't been in every Eight Arms campaign. Right, but he goes in the first Eight Arms campaign, right. so it worked. So yeah, so, uh, so the point is, Sligan the Unfortunate is the enemy CEO, and Venom McChain is the friend CEO. And I took a bunch of what I perceive to be the greatest hits from over the history of Delve Knight, grouped them into the ones that players like and the ones the players don't like. And the idea was that the ones the players don't like are running around creating a, a nuisance, and the players need to find a way to beat them all. You just don't have time to take them down piecemeal, though. So instead, what you have to do is run around and find the the Delve Knight All-Star that uh, the players like, that is the perfect foil for the Delve Knight All-Star that the players don't like, and convince them to go deal with that problem for you. <laughs> So what did we have here? We had Sprinkle Gore. He was a bad guy? Yes, these are the bad guys. Yeah, all the right. bad guys have monster stats. Right. So we had Sprinkle Gore, uh, Jeff the Spider, who you may remember from such hits as... Uh, the Arachnopolis. Yeah. Or uh, not, uh, also with Lily the Arachnomancer, who was, you know, holding Jeff's leash. Green Space Pirate. Because players were damn sick of those Metroid-themed sessions <laughs> yes, by the time were. we were done. But I had a ton of Space Pirate minis. Oh, it was even better. Green Space Pirates were super minions. Yeah. So a controller couldn't kill him in one hit, nor could a striker. Yeah. Brock could. Brock made two attacks. <laughs> uh, and they just, like, appeared in large numbers, I want to say. Like, there was just a whole gang of them, like, hanging out in one corner smoking. And yep. he was like, don't go over there. The green space pirates will, like, mob rush you. Uh, the Harpy Admirals, which we didn't get into the Harpy Navy, but it was another one of those stories that just came, a back place. And, came back in Delve Knight a couple of times. The point is, they're harpies, so they fly. And they are military commanders, so they know what they're doing. Also, apparently I accidentally made them space pirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harpy is a medium aberrant humanoid space pirate, of course. <laughs> uh, Wallface. <laughs> gold zombie. I don't know if we told the gold oh, zombie oh, story yeah. in the first... No, I did tell gold zombie in the first one, right? I think so. Yeah. It was early. And Labraccio. <laughs> Labraccio, of course. Uh, so the ones that they had to get to deal with them were, apparently I put the, yeah, the machine's top brass, and what was the thing, oh right, they were able to stop Wallface. Wallface would advance and crush everyone, unless you got the machine's top brass, three huge constructs, to just push him, and hold him, hold him away. And it was funny because, train wrecks would just do it because it was funny. Well, yeah, train wrecks, you could, um, get him by griefing and playing pranks, or... Promising a sponge bath from a particularly attractive female party member, because this was Blake's character. <laughs> Wickerman Tweed wanted to see people burn, but is also made of tinder, so could be intimidated. And Collider was a monk who desires nothing. But if they're going, I'll go too. 
So the idea was you had to convince Trainwrecks and Tweed, who couldn't actually apply any meaningful force to the wall, just to get Collider to be like, oh, I should go do that, and then stop it with his like immense... Like that scene in Mulan where an entire regiment is dangling over a cliff, and the big guy just picks them all up and walks off. <laughs> uh, let's see here now, so... Among the ones the party liked, Ashley Riot, because players are stupid. Yeah, Ashley was cool. Players, it was pretty cool. Yeah, the sessions were cool, even if it was, you know, like, dangerous. So, uh, Ashley, uh, Ashley was the one to deal with Sprinkle Gore, right? Because Sprinkle Gore is just a big badass, and all Ashley likes to do is find a thing that is at least 15 times taller than him and suplex it repeatedly into the psycho, uh, reactor. You could get him by giving him wine, because as we discussed, everything in Vagratory was about wine, or a weapon. Just hand your weapon to him and he'll go, awesome, and hit people with it. Or, if you can convince him that it's necessary to protect non-combatant women and children. Another reference to Vagrant Story storyline. He was theoretically a good guy, and the players were his bad guys. Uh, the Ro- the Orbison family. Really just Roy and Roy Jr. <laughs> what was their problem? Roy was drunk? Yeah. Roy can be plied by alcohol. At least four kegs. Roy Jr. may also reveal that his dad will do anything if you tell him it's an order from his wife. <laughs> <laughs> but they're flyers, so they could stop the harpies. Yep. Yeah. And they went off and had a stunning aerial battle. The players only ended up getting two or three of these guys and just trying to beat the rest through brute force. I don't remember which ones they got. I think it was by design. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Princess Crushinator. <laughs> All right. She was the one to solve the space pirates because she was all swirling area attacks. She will accept a date from a particularly attractive male party member, because I was also guiding Blake's uh, monster design at this point. Uh, let's see. Meepo! From the Cobalt Hero Squad. All you have to do is find him, and he'll join you. But However, he's hi- Sorry, go. He's hiding in the girls' locker room, <laughs> because Blake designed the session. <laughs> ah, the Endurer. That was the oh, guy... Meepo rises from the dead every turn. So he fights Labraccio. <laughs> I violate your mark, and I die, and I'm back. Labraccio went, what? What the frick balls? <laughs> the perfect uh, karmic justice. In fact, I remember the party, just like, all the players at the table just cracking up and falling out of their chairs. When people was like, I got this! And Labraccio was like, that's adorable, punt. What? How <laughs> does uh, it feel to have people res on you? Labraccio said, I did that because you would... Ah, stop it! <laughs> Uh, the Endurer, uh, who was the only character who could put up with Gold Zombie. I don't know if we told this story the first time, but it was the guy who made a shoe full of nails. Yes. He enjoys strong drinks such as turpentine, drain cleaner, and nails. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least. A DC-10 history check will reveal that he will respect the wishes of anyone who beats him in a test of endurance. Because at this point, it was very low DC Delve Knight lore. He's just like, hey, I bet I can, you know, like, beat you in a getting kicked in the crotch contest. And he's like, you're on! <laughs> There's one thing I love, it's being kicked in the crotch. I love Elysio. Elysio! Italian ice elemental. <laughs> it's not that he's an elemental of Italian ice. No. It's that he's an ice elemental. Actually, that's a better idea. Who is an Italian? He was so, so stupid. <laughs> but in Delve Knight lore, the more beat up he got, the larger he got. Yep. Because of the Elysio escalation session. Yep. The Elysication... The one where it got bigger. We had four ice m- giant minis of various sizes. One so was medium, so giant. Elysio starts at the bottom and then gets bigger because... Uh, they really liked making ice minis because that translucent blue looks so good. They were pretty. Well, actually, I remember you had two... Because um, you had a different name for each one. Mm-hmm. In both sessions. You had two sessions. One in which he got bigger, in which case he TPK'd. 
the party. Yep. And one in which he got he started out big and he got smaller. And the last one, the medium sized one, I believe was called Eligio, Deep. deeply screwed ice element. That's correct. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. So, and he was the one who dealt with. Uh, Lily and Jeff, the arachnomancer and the spider, because he was the only one who could become gargantuan. And step on Uh, the machine started gargantuan, right. but had no experience in fighting spiders. Elysio was an adventurer. It wasn't the greatest fit, I'm not gonna lie, but you know... But he's who was left. <laughs> <laughs> Often, that's what was left, is the driving force behind some of our best stories. particularly fun, uh, if, if slightly odd delft, right? He was Elysio, so he was hapless, you could help him by getting it out of his contract with Venomate Chain, and stupid, you could help him with any bluff you want. <laughs> it's like, quick, uh, you hate women. I do? <laughs> also the, spiders. That character was introduced in Heiko's Tower Campaign, which we'll probably start talking about next, I should think. Read a book! Okay, that well, one I could sit in on. <laughs> That's right, you, you have the pictures. Totally. Yeah. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah, we're gonna have to, gonna have to scan those pictures so Yanni, you can put them up. Yanni and Laura were the only players who were there the whole time, too, so Yanni could add to it. Well, I think that, no, we're actually running out of time, so... Hashtag... Oh, frick, we need a new one. Read a book! <laughs> <laughs> I think I should get through one at the beginning, but I'll, I'll see if I can cut was that, was that Was that co- a colony drop? Yeah, oh, you're right, it was colony, colony drop. drop. Hashtag colony drop. Stop reading books! <laughs> this podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com I podcast Magic Missile. Attacking the darkness since 2012.